All right. Well, good morning again. It's good to see you. Happy homecoming. This is homecoming, right? I'm correct on that. Looking forward to eating with all y'all. Mostly eating. I'm just kidding. Of course, fellowship is awesome. I look forward to that. Folks, today we're going to be talking about a particular church, and it's the church of Ephesus. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, we're going to read seven verses here um, that's regarding this church, and then we're going to dive into this text and see what God has for us today. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. Revelations 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That is our main text today. You know, America is a land filled with church buildings. These buildings, they could be small, they can be large. These buildings could be immaculate with the beautiful landscaping and the giant fountains. And they could be these churches that are in much need of TLC. There's churches with one swing set. There's churches with a giant gymnasium. But the buildings, he does not count the buildings. He does not look at the buildings. Jesus examines the hearts. So the real issues of life always proceed out of the heart. Now, John is told to write down what he sees and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These are the churches that he's addressing. These were real churches with real messages. But they easily easily represent the concerns and encouragement for the church today, every single one of them. That's why they're in Scripture. So, each of these seven letters sent to the seven churches that we've named starts out with a description of Jesus. And in chapter 1, John's vision reveals to us that it is Jesus who is in the midst of the lampstands. And that it is Jesus who held the seven stars in his right hand. Now, chapter 1 also reveals the mystery of the seven stars as the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the churches themselves. Now, it's easily 
to understand, excuse me, it's easy to understand that the lampstands represent the church. It's a bit harder and a little more difficult to understand the angels of those churches. There's a couple views I want to uh, share with you that could possibly be a representation of this. Here are the views. These angels could be those that guard and protect the church. Um, uh, One who represents the church in heaven, a guardian angel or the spirit of the church. Uh, That would be the heavenly. Um, The earthly would be a guardian angel or an angel with a angelos, right? That is more of um, a messenger, being a pastor or a church leader one who delivers the message to the church, one who reads the letter to the church. Of course, most scholars lean towards it being an earthly, because John is writing a letter to these seven churches, and these letters have to be addressed to the congregation. But whether it be a heavenly being or an earthly being, it is Jesus who holds these stars in his right hand. And ladies and gentlemen, this is significant. Because it's the Lord who protects the church. It's the Lord who guides the church and watches over. And we see that as he walks in the midst of the lampstands. Jesus watches over his church. It is sustained by his strength and through his wisdom. A lot of times we think man, humanity carries the church. It is Jesus who holds the church. Now, The very first church addressed in these seven letters is Ephesus. And this, folks, let me tell you a little bit about Ephesus. This was a very, very important city in the province of Asia. It was a port city, meaning that it was a major hub for commerce, and it was the main point there in the Mediterranean region for that commerce. Because there were many roads that led to Ephesus and, of course, the port, the water. So it was a main hub for that Mediterranean region. Also for the Roman administration, it was huge. Now, the city held one of the wonders of the ancient world, and that wonder was the temple to the goddess Artemis. So that temple was there. Ephesus was also passionate about the imperial cult. Uh, They had many temples Uh, or they hosted many temples, if you will, for instance, to Julius Caesar and uh, to Domitian. Uh, That's just some examples, because they were big into the imperial cult as well. Uh, There was a stadium for athletic competitions. There was a theater for performing dramas. Um, Folks, there was people coming from all directions, whether by road or by sea. There were many, many people. Of course, that brought different forms of superstition, Uh, practice of the magical arts. It brought mystical worship and cultic worship. And you know, a big enough city with the diversity of the people, that's the stuff that it brings. This is what the church of Ephesus was against, was all this cultic and mystic worship. So the city had a Jewish community. There were Jewish people there. And It held a Christian community, stemming all the way back to the time of Paul. And this is a very important city. It was important, and it was thriving in its day. So I'm trying to paint a picture for you to see what this church would be like in this city with all this activity and all these different people. 
Now, we read something cool here. We read about their, their commendations. We read about the things that were good. And on paper, boy, these works look good. Folks, you, you toil, you're patient endurance. You don't bear with those that are evil. You test those who call themselves apostles, but who are not, right? You expose them to be false. You patiently endure. You bear up for my name's sake. You don't grow weary in any of this. And they hated the work of the Nicolaitans, which God also hates. Let me just tell you, there's not a lot about that group. It's a sect. It's a heretical group. They were um, idolatrous, and they had they, they, very immoral behavior. So that's the kind of group we're talking about, and we know that in our world today, a very heretical group, and they hated, they hated the Nicolaitans. But let me say, as a church leader, you look at these credentials and you go, okay, let me get my clipboard here. I want to go check this church out. So I could see my clipboard uh, with all these wonderful things, and you know, the little check boxes you can put, well, they're doing that, they're doing that, and I could see me going, okay, let's look at these works. Church of Ephesus, because on paper, you look good. You look good. In my eyes, I think this church is rocking. So I go and I say, well, let's look at your works. Oh, you are toiling. That's hard work. That's exhaustive work you're doing. Check. Wow, you guys are patiently, you're enduring. You are patiently enduring. Check. I love it. What about these over here? These that are evil. Are you bearing with these? Are you taking care of them? Oh, good, good. Let's check that off. Oh, you have exposed them to be false. They're not apostles. Excellent. Check. Right? You patiently endure bearing, bearing for the name of God, you're bearing for his name's sake? Oh yeah, beautiful, check. And you guys don't grow weary in any of this? That is wonderful, check. Oh, and you do hate that crazy group, God hates them too, check. We look at all these beautiful things and we say, this church is on fire. This church has got it going on. All churches need to look to this church to be example. But it is Jesus that is walking among the lampstands, like patrolling, because it's his church. It is his church. He's patrolling it. So we can see again here that Jesus sees straight through to the heart, and therefore he has a different diagnosis for the church than we do. I can look at my clipboard and go, oh, this church is good. And Jesus could say, oh, no, it's not. It's his diagnosis that counts, not man's. But we can easily get caught up in the, oh, yeah, we're doing that. We're doing that. We're doing that. It's Jesus who's walking among the lampstands. So we have to be exercise caution because look, it's him. He, in observation of the church and their works, Jesus could look at that clipboard that I checked and say, here, here you go, my Lord and Savior, here you go. And he could look at it and go, oh yeah, but where is the love? And that's what's happening here. He sees all the wonderful things they're doing, but it means nothing. Where is the love? You ever heard the expression, out of sight, out of mind? Maybe some of y'all use that with me. Shame on you. Out of sight, out of mind. You soon forget people. You soon, you soon forget things. When they're no longer visible or present in your life, we tend to forget, don't we? And love became an attitude, if you will, out of sight, out of mind. Is, is love, is it, is it visible? Is love no longer present in this community? This is what Jesus is calling them out. Where is the love? I don't see its presence. You're not acting in it. It's not the motivation. It's not what's driving you. 1 John 4.16. 1 
1 John 4.16 says, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Is love important? Folks, did you see that verse? Absolutely. Whoever abides in love abides in God. You cannot escape that God is love. So that's settled. This is what they're missing. This is what they're missing. And this is exactly what Jesus has against them. The church in Ephesus had abandoned the love they had at first. But listen now, they did not lose it. It wasn't lost. It wasn't taken from them. They abandoned it. They left it. So he says, you guys need to take count of the situation here. Look where you were, and now look where you are. Remember how far you have fallen, the Bible says. Look where you are. Look where you were. That's a great fall. True remembrance. When we remember, true remembrance will lead to repentance. If we could just remember how far we've fallen. And this is what he wants for the church in Ephesus. Look back to where you were. Go back and do that thing. There's a verse in Deuteronomy 4.9. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Now there's, that's powerful. Keep your soul diligent. Protect what you love and know. Guard what you've come to know and love. The nation of Israel, they saw and they began to forget what my eyes have seen, what my heart, they began to forget. We can do the same thing. The church in Ephesus did it as well. Keep your soul diligently. And what does Jesus say? He says this, do the works you did at first. Now, they're already doing works, aren't they? So if they're already doing works, what do you mean do the work? Well, they're missing something. They're missing something, aren't they? Something that has a gigantic difference, an enormous difference. Love would be present. The works are the same. It's true that the church at Ephesus may have had so much zeal Right? They, might, they might have been so zealous for truth that they repressed, maybe even extinguished their love for God and for one another because of that zealousness. This does happen. People can look to the work right, instead of the love. And what a tragic flaw. This was infecting their fellowship. They were looking to the duty instead of the love. All their deeds were now motivated by duty, by task, rather than love. I heard a preacher say once regarding this kind of thing where people hold to the works and duty over the love of God that their theology was clear as ice and just as cold. And that's what can happen to a Christian who puts the work of Christ before the love of Christ. How do we know this is true? Because this letter is being written to a church in Ephesus who has fallen into this they have fallen into this so their deeds were motivated by the job the work rather than love you know first first corinthians 13 1 through 3 really really puts it all together for us it says 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We see in this verse three times where love is the main ingredient. Without it, it's nothing. So the works in Ephesus, in God's eyes, were nothing. We see this when he's talking to the the nation of Israel. I'm sick of your festivals. I'm sick of your sacrifices. I'm tired of your burnt offerings. That's not what I want. He wanted their heart. You can go through the motions all you want, but I don't care about the motions. I want your heart. Connections, uh, a few months ago, I taught this lesson in Connections. So some of you will remember this. It's a life group here at Grace Fellowship. Um, I taught about this wonderful resource God gives us, the sun, S-U-N. The sun gives off heat and it gives off light. You guys know that's true. I don't have to sell you on that. The sun gives off heat and gives off light. But if it only gave off heat, we would live in a dark world without light. If the sun only gave out light, well, we'd live in a frozen world without heat. Our relationship with the sun is that we need both. Sun, we need your heat, and we need your light. You guys get that, right? Well, that's zealousness versus love. Yet, some people are so zealous for the work that they forgot the love. And the Ephesus is the example of that. The church in Ephesus is the perfect example. Works without love. But guess what? You can have love without works too. And here's the problem with just love. If you're just a passionate person, you can easily be misguided. You can easily go off course. This world is full of people that are passionate about idols, false religion. Their whole life is based on the love for things that aren't real, like the golden calf that they built, right? Exchanging for God's glory. I'll talk about that in a second. You got to have both. You got zeal and you have to have love, just like the sun gives us heat and light. Listen, it's the intellectual versus the emotional. You can't have all the knowledge in the world of God and never apply it and love somebody else. Therefore, you also can't have all the love and be misguided because you don't have the word to guide you. You need both. The relationship calls for both mind and heart. And the problem with the church in Ephesus is that the mind was there. Folks, their intellect was there. Their zeal was there. Their mind was firing on all cylinders, but not the heart. That love had been abandoned. So do the works Do the works that were done when the church was first established. When you first fell in love with me, go back and do those works. Come on, Ephesus. Bring back the zeal and the love that you once practiced in both opposing error, which they were really good at, They tested people that said, I'm an apostle. All right. They tested them. They exposed the false. They they opposed error. But do that zeal, that work with love, right? They did good for others. Absolutely. For the sake of doing good for others. 
but without love. And you may say, how do you do that? Folks, that's the work. That's the, emo- uh, the, the, the lack of the emotion, the lack of the love attached to the work that they were doing. Ephesus proves that. Just like the sun, we need the heat and the light. This is wise counsel, folks, for any of us who have backslidden and any of us who have left their first love. Oh, I've talked to many Christians. I'm just bored with this. I just don't have the same you know, excitement. I don't have it. We have to return to that first love. Let me give you an idea. Look at my beautiful... All right, I have a beautiful lampstand here. I just made it right before your eyes. So there's this gorgeous lampstand, and I'm, I'm putting in a really a brand new bulb, super bright, LED. All right, I turn it on. You have a bright bulb. I want you to picture a marriage. You know, Reedsville, you, I got to tell you, I'm impressed with the marriages around here, first of all. They really, they are, they're long enduring, and I love it. Y'all last. You have this couple. I do. I do too. I love you. Okay, we're married. And you have this bright bulb right there at I do. A lot of you couples can prove this. Your, your marriages are worth their weight. 40, 50, 60 years later, that bulb is shining just as bright when you said I do as it is, say, as it is today. You love that person just as much today as when you said I do. You, can, you guys can vouch for that. But it didn't just, it wasn't just love, was it? Every marriage takes work. Oh, I've talked to some wonderful couples. You that have been married for years and years, does your marriage take work? <laughs> the ladies are going, yeah, that guy, yeah, yeah. Marriages take work. But why do we want to put the effort into the work? Because we love them. Because our love drives us to that work. Therefore, we want to make the marriage stronger and better. The problem with the light bulb for a lot of us is that light slowly dims until it goes out. And that happens to a lot of couples. That happens to a lot of relationships, not just marriages. The light can dim and it goes out because we don't want to do the work anymore because the love is not driving it. The same thing with following Christ, folks. Whether you had some wonderful salvation experience or you just grew up in church and it became part of who you are, we have to return to the love we had at first. If not, that light bulb begins to slowly dim. So I wanted you to have an illustration of marriage as part of that. So think about that light bulb as we go on. Because there's a lot of relationships that suffer because they stop working at it. And usually, I told you at the very beginning, what proceeds out of the heart, right? That is what's going to dominate that relationship. And if there's a lack of love, or if love's not steering it, remember how far you've fallen. There's a verse in Psalm. I want to go Psalm 106, 19 through 22. It says, They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Folks, these are people who saw the wondrous works of God firsthand. And with a little bit of time, well, he's still up there, what do we do? They said, well, let's worship, let's make a metal image and worship it instead of the God who just saved us. It departed from their hearts. It departed from their eyes, out of sight, out of mind. See, Ephesus did not forget the work of God at all, but they did forget to love him. Just like the nation of Israel, right? Where's Moses at? 
well, we got to worship something. Well, let's make a golden calf and worship it. And they did this great sin. Why? Because they out of sight, out of mind. They allowed the visibility and the presence that's not there to over, overwhelm them, if you will, into worshiping something that they made by their hands. It's a sad state. That's why in Scripture it says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now, when you hear the words, he who has an ear, this is Jesus' exhortation throughout the Gospels. Hear, understand, and respond accordingly. Did you get that? Not only do we hear it, he who has an ear, but we respond accordingly because we understood what was said. This is reflected in each closing, each message to the seven churches, you will see that. And I think that is amazing. Because a lot of times what we want to do is we want all the little things and added things to our life before we seek God. It's like Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But a lot of people say, well, I want the added to me part first. I got anxieties, and I've got worries, and I've got needs. I want all those, and then I'm going to seek God. I want to reverse it. No, we seek God first because the verse tells us all these things will be added to you. Love first. Come on, Ephesus, return to that love. I've got a, an illustration for you. <clears throat> a motorist, let's just say a motorist is driving through uh, a particular country and he's lost his way. I say he because, right, come on, man, I'll find it. I don't need a map. So, the man, I'll just, for the sake of the women here, the man is lost, right? And he asks a local resident, hey, how far is it to a certain town? And the resident replied, well, the way you're going, it's about 24,999 miles. But if you just turn around, it's one mile, right, men? That right there defines the Christian. If you want to keep going that way, it's 24,990 miles, but if you will just turn, that's repent. That's what repent means, turn back. It's one mile. Casting Crowns has a wonderful song called One Step Away. And one of the lines is, you're only one step away from coming home. Plug, homecoming, reverse it, coming home. Check. You're one step away from coming home. You turn, you repent. And this is what Jesus said. Hey, listen, Ephesus, <laughs> on paper, you look good. But my diagnosis is, this is nothing because there's no love. Return. Turn around. Come back that one mile. Come back that one step. Repent and do what you did in the beginning with love. That's what he's saying. I love this verse in Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 6, 8. It says, 6 through 8, excuse me, says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name, or call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. This verse is amazing. Seek the Lord now while he may be found. Turn around. Seek the Lord. Hey, if you're wicked, forsake your wicked ways. Unrighteous, come back. A lot of times people will say, you know what? I think I know what God's thinking. Yeah. I'm going to tell God what he's thinking. A lot of times we do that. 
I'm going to let my thoughts be God's thoughts. Ephesus decided that their ways were God's ways. But were they? No, because he said, if you don't change, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to remove your church. See, our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts because we are not God. That's why we have to seek the Lord. Turn around and come back. I love this illustration of Mary and Martha. In Luke 10, there is, uh, Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's house, and Martha is very distracted. She's busy working and she's serving, and her sister Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just loving him, sitting there listening to him. And Martha comes up to Jesus and says, you know, don't you even care that my sister has left me to do all this work alone? And Jesus answered, Martha, you are troubled. You are troubled by many things. Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary has chosen what is better. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's what Mary was doing at the feet of Jesus while Martha was busy working. It's a beautiful illustration. Like Martha and the church in Ephesus, we can get so busy working for Christ that we too forget to love Him. Labor is no substitute for love. Remember this, folks. Labor is no substitute for love, just like the golden calf cannot be substituted for God. But there are people all over this globe that are substituting that love we got to come back. Ephesus was known for their sound doctrine, and they did function as a great example to other churches in their commitment and zeal and work for Christ. I don't doubt that. I see it on paper. Their credentials are wonderful. But unfortunately, this zeal that they were failing, <clears throat> excuse me, in this zeal, they were failing to love Christ and one another. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. You cannot love Jesus or profess Jesus if you don't love other people. And if you're loving on other people, it's going to be hard to not love Jesus. They go hand in hand. Uh, Nick, I'm going to have them put, uh, the AV team, I'm going to have them put up many scriptures. This is just verse headings for you. If you want to challenge, you know, look up the verses. Or if you're taking notes, if y'all will put those headings up for me, I'm going to just paraphrase a lot of these verses. Folks, I found so many verses I couldn't list them all. We'd be here for days. I just chose five. But I want to tell you, there is so much evidence in Scripture about us loving others uh, being attached to us loving God. They're inseparable. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the great commandment, folks. This is the first commandment. But there is a second one like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says in another commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever has love has been born of God and knows God. But by all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what? Let all that you do be done in love. That was just five verses. I'm sorry, that's all we need. There's the evidence of what the Ephesus church, the Ephesians were missing, they were not loving God, and they were not loving each other. The zeal had taken over. It may have been that they were testing each other. It may have gotten so bad intellectually that they began to test each other. Are you real? Are you a real? Let's judge here. It may have been that bad. But love was not there. To the public, right, on paper, the Ephesian church was extremely successful. Extremely successful. 
But to Christ, to Christ, though, this church had fallen, and it is all about the diagnosis of Christ, not ours. It's his diagnosis. You know, without true love for Christ and love for others, that church, remember that little light bulb I had over here? The church's light will continue to dim until it goes out. And you can see that across the globe as well. Churches' doors closing. Churches falling. That light will slowly dim because the love is not there. It has to be acted in love. So what's the diagnosis here? What do we do? What's the remedy? Turn back. Love God. Be obedient to His Word. And love one another. Right? In this, in this, God grants the conqueror to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Folks, the tree of life and the paradise of God, they symbolize the reward promised to those who believe. They signify our eternal life with God and the joys and the benefits granted to those who belong to Him. Sure, we need to participate in the work of Christ. Absolutely. It's evidence of our faith, isn't it? But we are first called to love Him, and by doing so, love others. The church in Ephesus needed to hear this message and return to their first love. These were their instructions. They needed to return to the love they had at first. You and I need to also hear this message. For those who have an ear, we need to hear this message and heed the warning given. Listen, Grace Fellowship, along with so many other wonderful, wonderful churches in this area, they have so much promise. They have so much potential in doing great works for Jesus. But we have to remember, <clears throat> if love is not present, it means nothing. We have many, many verses that back that up. If love is not present, it means nothing. So love for Christ and others cannot be an out-of-sight, out-of-mind attitude. Love for Christ and others cannot be replaced or exchanged for something else. Let all that we do be done in love. The sun gives us heat and it gives us light. We know that's true. The believer should work for Christ because of their love for Christ. You need both. And I pray that we all hold tight to our first love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message, Lord. Lord, we thank you for addressing all these churches so that we could have these lessons. Father, we need to learn from them. We need to be encouraged. We need to heed the warning that you've given to these churches, Father. Lord, we can see what happens when love starts to dim and fail. We can see it in all the relationships that there are, Father. We can see what happens, and the same thing can happen to your church. It can happen to us individually. So, Father, what we're praying for now is that you help us repent and turn back and do what you want us to do, but in love for you and others. Father, we're praying for that. Let's just renew our hearts. Father, renew our hearts. We want you to shape our minds, Father, and we want both to work together in our relationship with you, mind and heart. Father, as we work, as we toil, as we labor, let love be the driving force behind that, our love for you. Because we know that if we love you, we are abiding in you. And if we're doing that, we know we're loving others through the work we do. It's all connected, but it all starts with loving you first, Father. Let us seek you first. That is my prayer for this church.
That is my prayer for all the churches in this area, Lord. And it's my prayer for the individuals, Lord, the individual hearts here today. Let us repent and take that one step back to you, Father, and do what we did at first. Let us seek you first, Father, and act in love. Father, we thank you for all your blessings. We thank you for the fellowship that we're about to have. We thank you for this service. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we can still come together and worship you in this building. Father, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.